right, if you want to stay standing really quick, we're going to read the scriptures. You can stay standing. We're going to read the scriptures for today. This is a long passage, and so Andrew asked me to read it, and I'm going to read it. I also think you may have asked me to read it because of all the confusing names at the end. Yeah. Uh, if you want to pay attention, the, the screen right here will have the verse on it. And uh, as much as I can encourage you or invite you into, just let these words wash over you. If you want to follow along, great. If you'd like to close your eyes as just a way to try to focus, feel free to do that too. But let, this is the word of the Lord, 1 Kings 19, starting in verse 11. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and he went out and he stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites, they've rejected your covenant. They've torn down your altars and they've put prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left. And now they are trying to kill me too. So the Lord said to him, go back the way that you came and go to the desert of Damascus. And when you get there, anoint Haziel, king of Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, and Abel, Mahola, to succeed you as prophet. Verse 17, Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword, and Haziel and Elijah will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet, verse 18, I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. This is the word of the Lord. You may have a seat. All right. Um, thank you, Brooke. Yeah, those some of the there's some good baby names in there for those of you who are like maybe thinking about having kids. No, they're all actually pretty bad. Um, so um, let's get right into it. Uh, uh, we're in the middle of a series called "Lord, Teach Us to Pray," and for the last three or so weeks, uh, we have been talking about a particular aspect of prayer that I'm very passionate about uh, that we call waiting on the Lord. This is probably one of the most common commands in all of the scripture to wait on the Lord. And yet in our culture, we don't really know what that means and we certainly don't practice it. And so um, for this series, we felt like, man, we really want to spend some adequate time sort of unfolding the layers of what it actually means uh, to wait on the Lord. And uh, uh, the story of Elijah is super informative. In fact, if you've been here, you know we've looked at Elijah's story the last couple of weeks, and um, we see in Elijah's uh, story, this sort of anecdote, an eight-stage pattern of waiting on the Lord. And we've made it through five of those, and we're going to finish that up today. Um, next week, we're going to begin the second half of this series, which is going to be reconnecting prayer with the mission of the church. And I am really excited about that. Um, so please come back for that. Um, Okay, so the sixth stage of this pattern is listening. Listening. So do you agree or disagree with this statement? Here it comes. Henry Nouwen, the great 20th century Catholic writer, wrote this. We do not take the spiritual life seriously if we do not set aside some time to be with God and listen to him. Do you, do you agree or disagree? Agree. Awesome. Okay, so if you're still thinking about that, um, here's another quote from someone I think you're going to recognize. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. That's Jesus. So several pe like people read this various different ways, but my personal opinion is the best way to read it is just at face value, which is to say that Jesus is a real personal presence who's leading you through life. 
And he has something to say about your life, and he wants to guide you in the way that leads to everlasting life. In this same exact passage, Jesus says, um, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that you may have life and have it to the full. So learning to pay attention to, to the voice of God, I think, is fundamental to your discipleship to Jesus. Learning to pay attention to his voice. Of course, I agree with Henry Nowen. I agree with Jesus, obviously. Probably doesn't come as a shock or surprise to many of you. Uh, you can't even really get started in any relationship, uh, let alone your relationship with God, without being a good listener, Right? You, in order to uh, have a strong relationship with anyone, you need to be a good listener. And if I'm blowing your mind right now, it probably means you need marriage counseling if you're married or you need help being a good roommate. Because if you don't listen, then there's no possible way you can be in a really strong relationship with someone. And ultimately, though, for whatever reason, I'm not exactly sure why, although I have my hunches, in the Western world, hearing God's voice has somehow gotten tangled up in theological debate. Like for some, the phrase hearing God's voice is really taboo, particularly if you come from a really conservative vein of the church. And for others, hearing God's voice is like the ultimate trump card. Like, hey, are you supposed to be doing that right now? God told me to do it, right? The ultimate trump card. God told me to do it. Um, and the, the reality is that both of those are extremes and perfect examples of missing the point, and they contribute to our confusion on why we are at times not able to hear the voice of God. But for Elijah, and for many of the characters in Scripture, hearing God's voice is just another part of their prayer life. And I think it should be just another part of your prayer life as well. It comes, in, in, in truth, after many other stages of prayer for Elijah, but it's a really important part of his prayer life. Which, by the way, I'm looking at the back of the room and my friend Shirley, my new friend Shirley's here in the house. And let me tell you, this is like the kiddie pool for you, Shirley. Because <laughs> Sherry, that's right, Sherry. Sherry has been like walking with Jesus closely for decades. And this is just like an introductory conversation into waiting on the Lord and hearing his voice. But I know from the stories that she's told me that Sherry is like filled with the Spirit and eager to hear the voice of God. So maybe next time we'll have you come up and teach this one, Sherry. <laughs> um, okay, I'm about to give you a 40-year-old cultural reference, so just brace yourself. So uh, a couple years ago, I was uh, listening to this interview with Ellen. Uh, you know Ellen DeGeneres? You know the person I'm talking about, right? Okay, yeah, sweet. Okay, apparently she got her start in stand-up comedy with one joke that popularized her, and all of a sudden, almost all of America knew who she was because of this one joke. And she called it the phone call to God, which naturally really was interesting to me, wondering what her joke was about or whatever, so I, I found it on YouTube. And uh, here was her premise. This is what she said. She said, people pray all the time, but wouldn't it be cool if you could have an actual connection and actually talk to God? Like, that's her verbatim quote from her, uh, uh, her joke called The Phone Call to God. And then it goes on, and she goes, you know, the phone would ring for a while, and then eventually someone in heaven would pick up, and then you'd be put on hold, and the hold music would be all worship songs or whatever, and then eventually God would pick up the phone and answer all of your questions. Now, I've sort of censored it a bit to make it a little bit less offensive and a little bit less sacrilegious, but that's the basic idea of, of her joke. Now, what's so intriguing to me about that is her caricature of prayer is spot on to our cultural perception about prayer. Ellen is implying that prayer is one-sided. It's you talking at God with like no expectation of any sort of real response or real connection. She's nailed our cultural imagination around prayer. In fact, many Christians still think this way about prayer. And the sad, ironic part of that is this becomes like, if that's what you think about prayer, then it becomes like a self-fulfilling thing, right? Where if you're thinking, you know, that was then, this is now, I'm not Elijah, I don't really know if I believe in any of that stuff. If that's the case, then you're probably not going to be paying attention to God's voice in the first place, much less believe him if he even spoke to you. So fortunately for us, the scriptures are filled with many more examples that give us a much more optimistic picture about what listening for God's voice and waiting on the Lord actually looks like. In fact, for Jesus, the most common way that he closes a teaching or a parable is with this line, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. 
Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Now, what is he doing there? What is that? Is he just reminding us that some people in the crowd are deaf? He'd be super cruel if that's what it was. It's obviously not what he's up to. What he's actually saying, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. He's saying, pay really close attention to the wisdom of my words and then integrate them into your life. Actually do what I'm teaching you. So when we talk about hearing God's voice, don't be weirded out by the extremes on either side and allow them to hijack the conversation. No one's getting anti-intellectual on you. No one's getting over-sensationalistic. We just want to live into our whole Bible. And Jesus is the one who said that my sheep will hear his voice or my voice. And this is his idea from the Bible. And our attitude is we just want to believe and live into all of it, even the parts that are maybe a little bit outside of our cultural understanding. So here's what we learn about God from the Bible. On page one, and it's always really significant when we learn about something on page one of the Bible because it's meant to sort of foreshadow or forecast sort of the whole rest of the book. And on page one of the Bible, we're introduced to a God who speaks. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and God said, let there be light, and there is light. This is super significant. There was nothing, literally nothing, no matter, no cosmos, no nothing. Then he speaks and the universe is born. And this is, again, one of the first things that we learn about God is that when he opens his mouth, his creative power is released into the world and all of a sudden his beauty and his goodness, his shalom, his will is here. So his voice we know is real and it has power. So page one, God is the God who speaks. And then what? He's all done speaking? No, not at all. Not even by a long shot. Genesis 1 verse 2 says, the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. If you're a theology nut like me, you know that has a lot of significance we don't really have time to get into. But fast forward to now, the age that you and I are living in. Now Jesus is risen from the dead, according to the scriptures, and his spirit has come to dwell in us in the language of John chapter 16. And in John chapter 16, it says that he is going to lead us into all of the truth. He will lead you into all of the truth. That is what the Holy Spirit is here for. And how does he do this? He does it by communicating with you. I'm not saying that you're going to hear audible voices from the clouds every morning on your way to work. That's not how it works. But God is coming to you and God is communicating with you and wants to connect with you all throughout your day. And in the Bible, when the Spirit of God comes in power, and when I say comes in power, I'm talking about you and I, those of you who've trusted in Jesus. By the way, this day started out so cool for me because there's this young girl in our church who trusted in Jesus this morning, and I got to pray with her, which is so cool. So um, yeah, it's super exciting. We should get excited about people entering the kingdom of God. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a good thing. So anyways, uh, she trusted in Jesus this morning, and the first thing we prayed for, for was for the Holy Spirit to come in, in the language of Ephesians 1, seal her. And so we got to see, as soon as we prayed for her, we saw just a new peace. I told her she was adopted into the family of the Most High God, and her eyes burst with tears, and her smile was so huge. And it was the sweetest thing I've seen in a really long time, and um, it's beautiful. So when the Holy Spirit comes in power, we see an increase of his activity, not a decrease. So you might be thinking to yourself, well, gosh, I'm not Elijah, I'm not Moses, I'm not these people. True enough, that's true. However, when the Holy Spirit comes in power, we see an increase of his activity, not a decrease. Next example, and by the way, this is by no means an exhaustive list. It would probably take us all year. We could teach a college class on this stuff, um, but we simply don't have all of the time for it. But I just want to give you a little bit of a sense of what God speaking looks like, sounds like, and feels like in the life of a believer, according to the scriptures. So in the next book, uh, the book of Exodus, God is leading the people of Israel out of slavery to receive the land of promise that God had promised Abraham a couple of hundred years prior. And Moses was God's leader at the time. And here's what the scripture says. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. Come on. I hope that does to you what it does to me. It's evocative. You know the kind of relationship you have with the person you came here to church with today or your spouse or your roommate or someone like that? That's the kind of communication that God had with Moses. I also love in the book of 1 Samuel, the prophet Samuel was a young boy at the time. He was serving at the temple. 
and uh, in, in the service of the high priest. And one night he kept waking up, hearing someone calling his name. And if you're familiar with the story, you know that Samuel thinks it's his boss, the high priest Eli. And so he goes over to Eli and he, uh, and he asks him, what do you want? But then Eli insists, hey, it wasn't me who called, uh, called for you. And then it happens like a couple of more times until finally, this is what Eli tells Samuel, go and lie down. And if the Lord calls you again, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. If you could have any headline for this idea of waiting on the Lord and listening for his voice, it would be that line, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And Samuel goes on from that moment. He becomes a prophet, and he has this entire uh, career of uh, prophesying over the people of Israel for the next several decades. And this was the entry point for that for him. Finally, in the book of Psalms, David sings the mighty one, God, the Lord. He speaks from the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, meaning that throughout the whole cosmos, all throughout our existence, God is speaking. Again, don't think voice in the clouds or whatever. Um, Think instead that God is through your experiences, through your study of the text of Scripture, and through your life, through your prayer, he is communicating with you. Uh, We also learn about our guy, Elijah, this dude that we've been following the last couple of weeks. We understand that as he's coming to God, he's complaining, right? He's feeling rather sorry for himself, which made me think this week, maybe he was a millennial. I don't know. And then the Lord, I'm a millennial too, by the way. I'm not slamming anybody here, but... um, but it's kind of true about us. I mean, let's be honest. We complain about nothing. Um, if you just spent a little bit of time in the developing world, you would understand what we're talking about. Um, so then the Lord, when he's done uh, saying all of the things that he needed to say, complaining to the Lord, feeling all of his emotions, letting them come to the surface, which, by the way, is exactly what he should have done. He should have done all of those things. Then the Lord speaks the truth to him or speaks the truth over him. He says, actually, you know what? You're not alone. There are 7,000 people that are still left. They haven't bowed their knee to pay all. You can actually, now I'm going to send you back into the next part of your vocation. You're going to anoint the new king. I even have your successor picked out. Go and anoint him too. So it's in this moment of deep despair that I do not want to minimize, but this moment of really deep despair that Elijah is feeling, that the Lord comes to him and that despair is eclipsed by the peace of God through hearing his voice. And I think this, is, this can be a normal experience for you and I. And this can be something that you live and you practice day by day. Just this week, I was meeting with a guy in our church who's going through a really significant crisis in his life, mostly of his own doing. And as we were praying, um, I noticed something that I noticed in myself and quite frankly in most of us when we pray, which is we're trying to intellectualize what we think is the right answer. So we try and pray what we think is the right answer. So we say, okay, I think this now and I think that now and I think that now. All of that's fine. Again, a lot of our praying is just getting our words out to God. So zero judgment on that. Never do I want anyone to feel shame about just saying whatever's at the top of mind. But when it comes to waiting on on the Lord and listening for his voice, it's actually not about intellectualizing the things you already know. It's actually about asking God a direct question. And this is one of fundamental secret of praying. Ask God direct questions. God, what do you want to reveal to me right now? God, what do you want to show me about yourself? And as you begin to do that, you're not searching for the right answer. You're actually expecting and waiting on God to share with you what he wants to say. And this was the beginning of something really cool for this guy that I'm telling you about. He actually experienced, I think, a really vivid picture from the Holy Spirit that will be a trajectory-setting thing for his life. And there was many things that came out of that time of prayer. And we prayed for like, I don't know, maybe two hours. And it was like, shoot, we got a lot more we got to pray about. So let's schedule this for the next week and let's keep this rolling. It's remarkable everything that God wanted to do in that really short amount of time. And it's really, really cool if we would just Stop actually saying our words to God, intellectualizing the things that we want to say, and instead hearing his voice and asking him 
to speak over us. So here's three ways you can practice listening today. You guys with me? You with me? Sweet. Uh, Here's the first thing uh, to hearing the voice of God and to practice this is we need to trust the promise that God is with you. Trust the promise that God is with you, which um, I know is it's kind of I'm at a dangerous place right now of saying the thing that you've heard a hundred times. And when I say the thing you've heard a hundred times, maybe even for me a dozen times, um, then it's very common for it to go one ear and out the other. But please hang with me because this is so vitally important. Um, In his book, Hearing God, Dallas Willard says this, God's presence is everywhere around us. And God is able to penetrate and intertwine himself with the fibers of the human self in such a way that those who are enveloped in his loving companionship will never be alone. Amazing. I believe that actually now more than ever. And I believe that that is True for you, not just because I believe in nice ideas like pixie dust and whatever else, like some of us are tempted to believe about prayer. I'm convinced because the one who saved me and the one who raised from the dead, the last thing he said before he went to go be with the Father was, behold, I will be with you always, even until the end of the age. So the purpose of me bringing this up to you again is not to get you to think about this and, and wonder if that information has ever kind of been transferred into your brain. Oh yeah, God's presence is with me. I know you've absorbed that into your brain. Most of you probably have, and maybe some of you are new, so this is maybe a new idea to you, but in all likelihood, that information has assimilated into your brain and probably for years now. But what we're actually talking about, the reason I bring it up again, is that trusting in him and trusting that it's actually true and letting that form your life of prayer is of the utmost importance. Is that we actually are going to put our trust in him. Um, There's uh, an example of this kind of trust is... And forgive the cheesy pastor analogy, but I am a pastor, so I get one or two a year. You guys have to give me a couple, okay? So I'm, I'm, uh, this is one of them, all right? I'm gonna get, this is one of them. So you can keep track, and I promise to only give you maybe one or two more this year, I promise. But the idea of you can, you can believe intellectually in the science of flight, right? Oh, yeah, the 737 from Boeing can get off the ground with all of us in it and can go to where we're going without problem. I, I believe that. But actually trusting in it is being willing to get on the plane and actually go up in the air, right? So cheesy pastor analogy, but it works in this context, okay? So do you really actually trust in God that his promise is true for you that you'd actually get on the plane? Are you with me? Let the word of Christ dwell richly in you. So we need the reality of God's witness to travel deep into the fabric of our being. And this is, of course, why I keep encouraging you to form this daily prayer habit. And I would argue that if you've heard us talk about this for this length of time and you have not yet begun your daily prayer habit. The crisis is in your belief. The reason why you haven't done it is because in one sense you're like, okay, Andrew thinks it's important. I kinda, I guess I believe that or whatever, but it hasn't traveled into your everyday experience because you haven't made it a habit yet. No judgment, no shame, just like is it, is it time for you to actually say, you know what, I do wanna develop that pr- daily prayer habit. I've got a lot of dreams for myself and for our family, for our church, but this is the primary goal. In fact, I was meeting with a couple people this week and um, I said, well, okay, great, I, you know, tell me what's going on in their life. And I wanna get you in to see a counselor, I need to get you a mentor, get you some community around you and all of that, all of that's great, but here's what I'm here for. I'm here to pray for you, to connect you to the presence of God. And I could see in this person's eyes, I was letting them down. In their mind, they wanted a life hack. In their mind, they wanted some advice. And I wasn't offering any of that. But I was offering them to, to connect with God in prayer. And I, it was so tragic to me to see this in, this in this person's eyes. 
that they were like, actually, could you spare me that? I, I don't think I want that. I don't believe it would actually do me any good. Instead, will you just give me some advice over here about my life? And that's a tragic thing, but it, I've seen it hundreds of times in our culture because we just have such a small, uh, unimaginative view of prayer. We have false images of God in our minds, and those things need to come crashing down so that we can actually pray. So is there more to life than prayer? Absolutely there's more to life than prayer. It's just not how any of us who actually know what prayer is all about actually talk because we know it's the most important thing in life is connecting with God and enjoying him in his presence. And this is what we all get to do now that you are in Christ. You have all full access to him. And this is, I, could not, I couldn't offer you any other miracle that could be any better than that. Amen. So we, we, we cannot be uh, dismissive about God's presence. We have to instead say, you know what? Yeah, I, he is who I ultimately want. So this is my dream for you. My dream for you is that you grow in your hunger and in your trust and in your desire for the presence. And um, the reason this trust is critically important is because if God is wanting to speak to us, but we don't actually trust that he will speak, you see the problem? If God wants to speak to us, but we don't really believe that he will, we're not going to be paying attention to his voice. And Elijah had to wait for a really long time, and the way that he heard God was through a gentle whisper. There's all kinds of things in life that are vying for your attention. And so it's so easy to, to miss the voice of God, especially as he comes to us in a still small voice or a gentle whisper. So we need to learn to turn our attention to him. And that's the second part of practicing listening prayer, is to be attentive to God's thoughts by the Spirit. So we need to trust him, and then we need to give him our attention. And uh, you guys have heard me talk at length, so I'll spare you right now, but you've heard me talk at length about how, um, especially in the age of the internet, how our allegiance and our attention is being battled for on a moment-by-moment basis. And part of what it means to become mature in Christ is to learn how to detach yourself from the uh, world of the internet for just enough time to enjoy God and to connect with him. And a super helpful scripture for me that has, that has helped unlock listening prayer for me is, and, 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 uh, and paying attention to his voice comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, which um, I'm going to do this very quickly, but hang with me because this is important. Paul, uh, in 1 Corinthians 2, is referencing uh, Isaiah 40, where Isaiah is poetically describing God's redemption as this unique turn of events that no one could possibly see coming apart from the Spirit of God. And he ends up asking this rhetorical question, who can know or who has known the mind of the Lord? Now, I've always read that to mean no one can know the mind of the Lord, right? That's kind of the point. That's Isaiah's idea here. But here in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit through Paul is very pr provocatively modifying Isaiah's point. And this is what he has to say. What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived. Again, that's another line from Isaiah. The things that God has prepared for those who love him. And these are the things that God has revealed to us by his Spirit. And the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who, who knows a person's thought except their own spirit within them? And in the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except for the Spirit of God. And what we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. You see where he's going. You see where he's going. This is pretty cool. This is what we speak. Not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit. Check out this line, explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. So the person with the spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments, for who has known the mind of the Lord? But we have the mind of Christ. You see what he's doing here? This is remarkable. According to Isaiah, no one can know the thoughts of the Lord. That's true. That's scripture. End of story. Except 
the spirit of God knows the mind of God. Right? The spirit of God knows the mind of God. True. So here's the paradigm that's shifting because of Jesus' work in the world. The time has now come where we have the spirit of God inside of us. So by the spirit, we can know God's thoughts. Right? That should blow our minds. Like if we're fully understanding this, this should blow your mind. Like you can know the thoughts of God by the spirit. In listening prayer, the Holy Spirit reveals deep spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. Come on. In other words, as you wait on the Lord and as you listen to him, his thoughts and his mind begins to inform how you see everything. Remember, C.S. Lewis uh, wrote, I believe in Christianity like I believe in the rising sun, not just because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. And this is what happens as we spend time in God. He replaces our vision and our thoughts and our mind, and he replaces all of those things with his very own thoughts. And this is why it's so important you hear me say this all the time. If we get together and pray this week, I guarantee it will come up. We need to let God set the agenda in prayer. Because when we set the agenda in prayer, it's no wonder that most of the time our prayers just wind up being me asking for like 50 things that I want him to do in my life. Which is great. Again, don't hold back. You have not because you ask not. That is a category of prayer that we need to keep on praying. However... When we let God set the agenda, we're surrendering to the reality that as much as we'd like to be in control of our life, as much as we'd like to be in control of things out in our world, the reality is that we're not really in control, or at least not that much. But as we release all of these things to him, our, our expectations and our agenda, and we instead begin to trust in his, he is in control in his way, even if that means I'm just sitting quietly with God for an extended period of time, his agenda begins to take over in my mind and in my heart. And I'm paying attention to the things the Spirit wants me to be attentive to, not just the things that pop into my mind when I feel like praying. Are you with me? What I've found is that when I am setting the agenda in my prayer life with God. I become over-obsessed about what I'm supposed to do. Should I take this job or should I move to this place or should I do this thing or marry this person or whatever, fill in the blank. And sometimes that's what hearing God's voice is about, but I think rarely. Most of the time, when the Spirit sets the agenda, it's normally about the depth and the quality of your relationship with God. It's normally about Him and you. That's normally what it's about. So for example, in the person that you know and you trust the most, for me, it's my wife. For you, it might be um, a girlfriend or boyfriend, a, a father figure or someone like that, a roommate. The person you trust in life, the real substance of your relationship is not like the weekly chat that you have about your schedule or your calendar or the details of life. The deepest part or the real substance of your communication is your heart level sort of intimacy that you share. Does that make sense? So Grace and I have something that I can't have with you and you can't have with me because we share an intimate bond that is reserved for my spouse, the, most, the closest person to me. And hearing God's voice is kind of like the same thing. He wants to guide you through life, but he's really interested in letting you know how loved you are by him and how special you are to him and the beautiful things about his character that he's revealing about himself to you, the truth, the identity that he wants to speak over you. He wants to speak about how he feels about you. Guys get really uncomfortable with this. The girls in the room, typically not so much, but one of the primary images of us and God in the Bible is we are his bride. He is the bridegroom. He wants to be our lover uncomfortable, intimate, very close relationship, relational language. And that's primarily, when God speaks, that's primarily what he's talking. It's not life advice. It's not a life hack. It's not go left or go right. That sometimes happens, but that's, in my experience, and from what I read, is a little bit um, rare. But what is very common 
is how God comes to you and just expresses his love to you. And this is my hope. This is my hope for us as a church, for you as a follower of Jesus, is that you would actually know his heart and that you would become very intimately acquainted with his heart and that you would consistently practice the presence of God over and again and that you would be secure in his love and that you'd be secure in your identity before God so that you can encounter anything, just about anything in life. No matter how difficult it may be, but you'll be secure in one thing, that God loves you. And this is what leads us to the last thing for today, which is um, we need to start listening. Trust him, give him our attention, and start listening. It really is that simple. Just like a relationship that you, you're in with a, a person who's important to you, or if you're a parent and you're teaching people <laughs> how to, to move through the world, you teach them to be good listeners. And this is what it's time for for us. If we want to hear God's voice as a regular, normal part of our lives, it's totally and completely possible, but it requires a habit of listening. And that's something that you got to do. For me, it always starts as a simple activation, something like this. God, I'm here, and you're here, and I'm listening. To me, that's just the thing that um, gets me into the place to actually pay attention to the voice of the Lord. And I just wait. And my experience is maybe similar to yours, maybe dissimilar. But when I hear something, if I hear something, it's usually uh, one of three things. It's either a word or a phrase a word or a phrase. Sometimes a, a word will just come to my mind, and sometimes that word will immediately make sense. It'll be something that I've been asking God for or something, or maybe it's a word from Scripture. Other times, though, it's not abundantly clear what the word is about or what the phrase is about. It's just kind of uh, something that I write down in my journal or I think about it for a little while, talk to a mentor or whatever. Sometimes that's the case as well. Another way that God might speak to you is through an image, a picture, or a vision. And some of you get super vivid pictures. And if this is a new idea to you, you might be wondering to yourself, why would God speak to us through a word, or excuse me, a vision or a picture or something like that? Well, the reason why is because Jesus uses metaphor all of the time, all throughout the scripture. Um, he uses metaphor. He uses symbolism, all of these things that are super evocative. Remember that, that ancient line, a picture is worth a thousand words. And that's all really, really true. Um, when you receive a picture from God, it just begins to unfold. So, for example, um, over the last several years, we've been praying for an awakening to the gospel here in Central Oregon, where your friends and neighbors would be compelled by the love of Jesus and actually want to trust in him. But we recognize we're living in this time and place where people are pretty cynical about Jesus. And so I've gotten this picture, recurring vision, again and again and again, every couple months or so, of this concrete wall. And the concrete wall, through discernment, through some leaders here at Riverbend, is, uh, represents a spiritual stronghold, the kingdom of darkness, the enemy that's in the way of God's people experiencing his freedom and experiencing his love. And as I pray, I just see cracks in that concrete wall starting to form and starting to open up. And I was at the 24-7 prayer conference uh, last week, and I hadn't really received a vision in a really long time. I had been praying for a lot of other people, and I've seen lots of other people experience insane visions and insane, insane things that I'm super excited to tell you about. But for me personally, I hadn't been getting anything like that significant in a while. And all of a sudden, after several months of not receiving any visions for myself, I got, like, in about 10 minutes, like two years worth of meditation. Like literally, like so many things just came rushing into my mind all at once. And it was all stuff I can't even really put into words yet. But all of these things that God is speaking to me about our church and about our future and about my family, about what God wants to do in my life. And about a 10 minute period of time, I got uh, several visions that I think I can, with no stretch of the imagination, will be meditating on for years to come. And it's so powerful. It's so awesome that God comes to us and speaks to us like that. And I think he wants to speak to you like that too. It can also come through an impression. An impression. Um, this is just something that you sense about God. You, you know when you're close with someone, you can tell what they're feeling before they even say it, right? Like with my wife. I can tell if she's having a good day 
or bad day um, without her using any words. And typically that's the case with people that we know really well. And God comes to us in the exact same way. Sometimes he doesn't even need to say anything for you to get an impression of what he wants. Like, for example, uh, this week I, I, was, uh, I was with the Lord and very quickly just got an impression that I needed to seek forgiveness from a friend. And I was like, oh my gosh, yeah, I was totally impatient with them and kind of rude. And I didn't give them any reason why. And so I need to give them a call. It wasn't anything that God spoke audibly, but it was certainly something that I sensed by the Spirit. And it was really, uh, it was really palpable. And often God will come to you in that way as well. So a couple of things to remember before we're done is just that we, uh, we need to submit all of these things to the Lord um, through our questions and through the scriptures. So for example, um, when I receive a word or phrase or picture or vision or impression, these are the questions that I like to ask the Father. And I recommend you do this too and write this down if this is a new concept to you. Ask the Lord, is what I'm hearing or picturing, is it consistent with Scripture? And if what you're picturing is not um, uh, consistent with Scripture, then it's probably not from the Lord. Um, It could just be like your imagination, or it could be something else. I'm not really sure, Um, but it's probably not from the Lord. Um, Ask yourself, is what I'm hearing or picturing, is it actually Scripture? Because most of the time for me, um, it is. Or is it a symbol from Scripture? Many times when there is a vision, for example, of fire, that normally represents the power of the Holy Spirit. There's a, get a visual of raging water. That represents new life in the Scripture. There's many other examples of that, but those are some common ones. So as you know, I talk about, I've been talking about this with some enthusiasm and excitement because I want this for you. Um, I, <laughs> I could beat around the bush and kind of like try and persuade you or whatever. But the reality is, is I just want this for you. And for some of you, you're already like, I'm, I'm like, you, you, you know, you're like Sherry. You're like, like, this is the kiddie pool. Let's go into the deep end right now. Wonderful. Awesome. That's great. Others of you, this is a new idea. But I can't hide the fact that I just want the spirit of God for you. And so rather than um, continuing to just kind of talk about it, I just want to practice this together with you. And you can enter into this at whatever level you're comfortable. Certainly, if you're like new to Jesus or you're questioning Jesus, there's feel, please feel no pressure. We're not trying to twist your arm into anything. But we just believe that this is true and this is for us. And because of that, we want to live into all of it right now. So if you wouldn't mind, please just stand to your feet. And I'm going to take you through a guided practice. All right. And what I want to do to begin is to just have you take in a nice deep breath. Big inhale through the nose. And exhale. And inhale again. And as you inhale, I just want to let you know that this is already a visual and a picture and a way that God is speaking to you. Because in the Bible, the Spirit of God is referred to as the wind or the breath or the energy of God. That's the Hebrew word ruach. And that's what it means. So in other words, as you take in breath, the oxygen that fills your lungs and gives life to your body in the same way, the Spirit comes to you and gives life to your spirit. And now it's very uh, easy to either live in the past or live in the future. And when we're living in the past, we're typically thinking about something that we regret. We're reliving a horrible trauma that we've gone through. Again, that's all fair. Some of what some of you have gone through is really intense. I know some of you have gone through some kinds of spiritual abuse. Some of you have made decisions that you deeply, deeply regret that has caused a lot of damage in the world and in your family. Others of you have just, over the years, have grown tired and apathetic towards the things of God. And so when you think about the past, you're filled with regret. It's also easy to live in the future And for some of us, that's where a lot of fear is. 
We're afraid of the future. Afraid of my, what might come. Will things ever get any better? It's a fair question too. But the beauty of the presence of God is that it's right here in the present moment. The present is where the power of the Holy Spirit is, not the past or future. So as you inhale and exhale and notice your breathing and come into the present moment, I just want you to become aware of the possibility and the power of what might even happen in your heart right now. And now that you're here, I want to remind you that Jesus is the one who said, my sheep hear my voice. Jesus is the one who said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. And Jesus is the one who said, I will be with you always, even until the end of the age. And now what we wanna encourage you to do is to just simply believe and trust This is not false hope. This is not just looking for a silver lining in your horrible week that you've had. It's none of that. What this is is saying, I believe that what Jesus has said is true. And I believe that he's not going to go back on his word. And so right here in the present moment, I call God on his promise to me. You said this was possible. So give it to me now in the name of Jesus. I think God rewards that boldness and eagerness. So get bold in your praying right now. And now what I wanna encourage you to do is to just wait on the Lord, just listen for his voice. So we're gonna give a little bit of space for silence and then just notice what comes to mind. So Holy Spirit, come. You are here and we are here and we are listening. Just pay attention to what's coming to mind. It could just be a word, something simple like peace be still. In fact, I'm gonna go out on a limb here and just say that I think that God, that's what God has already said to one of you, peace be still. And right now God is just confirming through my voice what he's spoken to you, which is a beautiful thing that God likes to do. Maybe you got a picture, a vision of some kind. Maybe you're just sitting in the quiet or standing in the quiet and you haven't heard anything. Whatever the case, it's okay. Remember God's setting the agenda here and for you it might just be something as simple as being still in his presence. But th for those of you who have a clear word or picture or vision in your mind, I just wanna teach you the next step of this, which is to simply say, God, is there anything else you want me to know about this? Is there anything else, God? What do you want me to know about this? Now I just want you to notice how this is so different from just thinking in your mind's eye of something, but this is actually God coming to you and speaking to you. 
And now I just want to encourage you to receive it. Whatever he's spoken to you one form or another, just say yes. Say amen. <laughs> That's just a Greek word in the Bible that we say all the time, but it actually just means so be it. So the things that God has spoken, just say, yep, I, I, so be it, God. You've said to me, for me or to me, I want it. It's very, very possible that you had a really clear experience right now. Whatever you do, don't let this moment go by. Write it down in a journal or something like that. Make sure you don't forget. Pull out your phone if you need to in the note app and just write out what you feel like God is saying to you. It may have way more significance than you think. Like I said, I got a picture at the 24-7 prayer conference that I know that in a couple years' time, I'm going to be going back and going, shoot, I remember when God said that for the first time. Others of you, though, it might be kind of unclear, and that's, that's okay, too. And in fact, I'd encourage you to still write it down. Come talk to me or Brooke or one of the pastors at the end of the gathering and tell us what your experience was. And we can help you discern if you need help that, with that discernment. That is often the case with me. I am by no means like getting this perfectly all the time. Often, I really need people's help. So write it down and come talk to someone after the gathering. And I just am getting this very clear sense now that we all need to just receive the love of God. Just kind of like a, um, like a really parched desert needs the rains to come. I'm feeling like there are some of you here who feel really malnourished and like you're in a drought state. Maybe even one of you already got that visual and that picture. If that was you, would you mind putting your hand up? If you got a picture of that? Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. And so what God wants to do is just like gently rain down his love on you. And now what we're going to do is we're going to respond to his love by singing and by coming to the tables of communion. The team is gonna lead us really wonderfully here in a moment of responding to the love of God. So let's sing to him and then also come forward to receive um, the bread and cup.